This week on Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras, the continuation of the Draupadi and Bhishma story from the beginning of the Mahabharata. This podcast is a production of Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. In a larger sense, the story of the Mahabharata is the story of Dharma and how Krishna, with the help of the Pandava brothers, restored the natural balance of life and cleansed the earth through the destruction of the Kauravas and their kinsmen in the battle of Kurukshetra. But even in this vast story, there are many sub-stories that are fascinating in their own right and give clues to the inner uh, nature of life. What makes this Vedic tradition so rich and wonderful is its acceptance of the complexities of life and of human nature. So far, we've seen how Bhishma, seeking to honor his father, gives up his claim to the throne so that his father, King Santanu, could marry Satyavati, a fisherman's daughter. Later, Bhishma takes three sisters to become wives to his brother, Prince Vichitravirya, but one of them, Amba, had intended to marry King Salva, who now wants nothing to do with her. So Amba is determined to have her revenge on Bhishma. She does her meditations and her mantra japa to gain favor with the gods Subramanyam and Shiva, who ultimately grant her wish to have her revenge on Bhishma. I don't think even Shakespeare could draft such an intricately delicious and complicated plot so quickly and thoroughly as this. Already we want to see just how this is going to unfold. And we see the foreshadowing of tragedies yet to come. Bhishma committed no overt sin or wrong. He was sorry for what happened to Amba, but she was determined to have her revenge. Reasonably, it might appear not, but she was born to King Dropada, who himself was consumed with a desire to have his revenge on a childhood friend who had humiliated him for reasons which one might consider to be reasonable as well. So, as Krishna later says in the Bhagavad Gita, the ways of karma are unfathomable, and if life were any simpler, it would not nearly be as interesting. At this point in the story, Vichitravirya has married the two sisters, Ambika and Ambalika, and they are living, living happily ever after. The young prince leaves the running of the kingdom to Bhishma and spends all his time with the two girls. But tragedy strikes, and he contracts consumption and soon dies. His mother, the Queen Satyavati, was stunned. Now at this point, there is no heir, and she is now panicked. She calls Bhishma to her and tells him that for the good of the kingdom and of their family, he must revoke his vow and marry the two princesses so that he can produce an heir. But Bhishma will have none of this, pointing out in the process that he's renounced his claim to the throne and maintained his brahmachari status purely for her, Queen Satyavati. She is frantic and tells him that this situation is so dire that it requires an apadharma, a desperate cure. She claims this is a higher need, a higher dharma, but Bhishma responds with a great speech, saying, Mother, you do not know the strength of my mind. You do not know the firmness of my dharma. You do not know me at all. Nothing will make me do what you have commanded me to do. The earth may lose her perfume. Water may lose the sweetness that is part of her. The sun may lose his brilliance or the moon her snowy coolness. Lord Dharma himself may abandon his dharma, but I will not swerve from this path of truth. 
the world may end, but not the strength of my mind. After he cools down a little bit, Bhishma points out to his mother that in a time of need, a worthy Brahmin could be prevailed upon to father a child, so the family line could continue unbroken. Satyavati thinks about this for a moment and tells Bhishma that long ago, before she was married to King Santanu, she had a child with the great Rishi Parashara, by the way, the father of Jyotish, and her son was Vyasa, who was himself a great Rishi and author of the Mahabharata and compiler of the Vedas and the Puranas. In short, a very, very important person of immense spiritual power. Well, as an ascetic, he was probably pretty scary looking, particularly to the delicate princesses, and he was known from birth as Krishna Dwipayana, Krishna being dark and Dwipayana meaning island-born. So you can imagine that he was dark with uncut hair and beard, coming to create a child with these young princesses at the request of his mother, Satyavati. Well, Satyavati prevails upon Vyasa to come, and before he arrives, explains to the girls, the princesses, what must be done. Well, that night arrives, and Vyasa goes to Ambika, who is terrified of this powerful, scary-looking man, and closes her eyes during their lovemaking. The next day, Vyasa tells Queen Satyavati that, indeed, a strong and powerful son will be born to Ambika, but because she closed her eyes, he will be born blind. Well, Ambalika was scared also, so scared, in fact, that she turned white in fear. And the next day, Vyasa told Satyavati that she too would give birth to a son who would be handsome and gentle-natured, but he would have very white skin. And in due course, these sons were born and indeed came out as predicted. They were named Dhritarashtra and Pandu. But Satyavati was not satisfied and asked Vyasa to come again to create another son, someone normal. But when the time came, Ambika panicked at the thought of spending another night with this scary man and convinced her maid to take her place. Well, the maid was the smartest one of all because she understood the great honor that it was to bear a child with this great saint. She was delightful and attentive to the Rishi and they spent a very enjoyable evening together. The next day, Vyasa reported to Queen Satyavati that indeed a wise and good son would be born and he would be the incarnation of Dharma himself. But, the Rishi cautioned, the mother of this son will not be your daughter-in-law. It is the good fortune of this maid to bear the best of my children. And with that he informs Satyavati that his job is done, and that she will please not bother him again, and he goes back to the Himalayas to resume his meditations. Well, once again, Bhishma takes over the kingdom and raises the children, training them in all aspects of princely knowledge. And when the boys were grown, Bhishma wanted to hand over the kingdom to Dhritarashtra. But because Dhritarashtra was blind, the middle child, Pandu, who was highly skilled as a warrior, was the official ruler with Vidura, the child of the maid, as advisor. Bhishma arranges for Dhritarashtra to marry a princess by the name of Gandhari who had no objections to marrying the blind king. In a rather stunning act of devotion, Gandhari bound her eyes in a silk cloth and lived as if she too were blind. The other princes, too, were soon married off, and all seemed well, 
but that would make for a very short story, and so life was once again ready to take an unexpected and tragic turn. There are, wandering about the cosmos, some very interesting characters. Narada, the son of Brahma, the creator, is one. He's rather benevolent and usually uses people's own foibles to cause trouble in the service of maintaining dharma. Another is Durvasa, the rishi known for his foul temper and quick and drastic curses. Well, there once was a king by the name of Kuntiboja, who had a young princess who was called Kunti. And one day Durvasa Rishi came to visit the region, and Kunti, as a very young girl, was assigned the task as attending to his wishes, which she did to perfection, and Durvasa wanted to reward her. Durvasa taught her a secret mantra, which would immediately cause whichever deity that Kunti desired to appear would appear immediately before her. Well, as a very young girl, she probably didn't understand exactly what she'd been given, and she sat in the particularly beautiful morning sun. She thought she'd give the mantra a try, and who wouldn't? So she pressed her palm together and recited the mantra that Durvasa had taught her, and suddenly the room was full of light, and there before her stood the sun. He seemed amused, and she was delighted with excitement as she explained about Durvasa and the mantra. Well, the sun said, here I am. What do you want me to do? Well, Kunti replied innocently enough, nothing. I was just thinking how nice it would be if I could meet you. Well, the son was quickly annoyed at the foolishness of this child. She had not understood Durvasa correctly. Do you recall, young woman, that when Durvasa said that with the recitation of this mantra, any deity you desired would come to you? Yes, she replied. Well, I suppose you're too young to see, but what that means is that the god will come to you and give you a son as beautiful and powerful as the god you have summoned. Well, Kunti was scared, but the son said that he could not go until the mantra's purpose was fulfilled. He reassured her, and before he left, explained that the resulting child would be born with auspicious markings and would be unequaled in the goodness of his heart. In time, the son was born to Kunti, and not knowing what to do, she went to the river, where she wrapped the child in a silk cloth, placed him in a wooden box, and with a prayer to his father the son, to look over him, sent him down the river. In time, Kunti grew older and married a young prince named Pandu, who became a renowned warrior and greatly expanded the Kuru's kingdom. When all the big battles were over, Pandu retired with Kunti and his other wife, Madri, to the Himalayas for some vacation time. It was a very happy time for the three, and they were carefree and joyful. In the nearby forest, there was a rishi and his wife, whom he loved very much. Upon occasion, they changed themselves into deer so that they could fully and freely enjoy their marital lovemaking. One day, they were enjoying themselves in this way when Pandu saw them. The hunter in him took over, and he forgot the law of Dharma, which requires that no animals should be disturbed when in the act of love. And Pandu sought the male deer, who understandably was both a little sad and angry to lose this happy life in, in this way. The deer said to Pandu, This act of yours will cost you your life. One day, when overcome with love for your wife, you too will die. Pandu was devastated but he realized the correctness of the rishi's anger and immediately determined that he would renounce the world. 
So he sent his retinue back to the palace in Hastinapur, and even his wives gave their silk and jewels to the messengers, departing to inform Bhishma, Ambalika, and Satyavati. Pandu and his wives spent several years in the forest, but a nagging thought was bothering Pandu. He knew that the Vedas said that a son was necessary for liberation, but, in due, but due to the Rishi's curse, he dared not approach either one of his wives, fearing his own death. He suggested to Kunti that perhaps she could become pregnant by a Rishi, as his mother had done, but she would have none of it. Pandu was miserable and obsessed. He moped about for days on end, thinking of nothing else. And finally, Kunti took pity on him, explaining about Durvasa's visit so many years ago and the special mantra that she knew. Well, Pandu was overjoyed. After some consideration, he asked her to summon Dharma himself, so that the son would be as good and pure as Dharma, and indeed a son who was born at an auspicious time was Yudhisthira, the oldest of the Pandava brothers. Pandu was happy, but again unsatisfied, and went to Kunti asking for another son, this time with Vayu, the most powerful of the devas, as father. And this time the child was named Bhimasena. Well, Pandu was happy, but only for a little while, because once again he was unsatisfied, he went back to Kunti asking for another son, and this time with Indra, the king of the gods, as father, and this child was named Arjuna. But Pandu was not so easily satisfied and asked Kunti for yet another son, but she refused, explaining that a desperate act such as this can be repeated three times only. Pandu, thinking fast, asked her to teach the mantra to his other wife, Madri. And Madri, using the mantra, summoned the Ashwin twins, the divine physicians who are sons of the sun himself. So Madri had two sons, Nakula and Sahadeva. These five young men, born of the divine mantra given by Durvasa Rishi, were the Pandava brothers, the heroes of the Mahabharata, and they spent their time, their early years, there in the forest being trained by the great archer, Sukha. But on the same day that Bhima was born, Gandhari, the voluntarily blind queen of the blind king Dhritarashtra, delivered a child named Duryodhana. But Dhritarashtra was worried and spoke with his brother Vidura. He related that at the time of Duryodhana's birth, there were many malefic and auspicious, unauspicious omens. Vidura was clear. These omens, he said, prophecy that your son will be the cause of the destruction of the entire world. Well, Dhritarashtra was shocked and asked what he could do. Vidura was again very, very clear. You must put him to death in order to save the world. He continued, The wise say that for the sake of the family, one can be ad abandoned. The family may be abandoned for the sake of the village the village for the sake of the community, and everything, even this world, may be abandoned for the sake of saving the soul. My advice to you is to abandon this child for the sake of the world. But it was not to be so. How could a father abandon his son, no matter what the omens? When Yudhisthira and his brothers were fifteen, King Pandu fell under the sway of a gloriously beautiful spring day and forgetting the old curse, chased after Madri, wanting to enjoy her charms. 
But moments later, he fell down dead, just as the Rishi had predicted. So now the young boys were fatherless, and Madri, in her grief, wanted to follow Pandu into the next world. So Kunti and the five boys decided to return to Hastinapur to live with Dhritarashtra, Bhishma, and their fated child, Duryodhana. While they reached Hastinapur, the entire royal family was assembled to hear the sorrowful tale. Bhishma was speechless. Dhritarashtra grieved the loss of his brother Pandu and companion. Ambalika was stunned, and Vidura made royal arrangements for a grand state funeral. The grand Rishi Vyasa himself came to preside over the funeral rites. But afterwards, Vyasa spoke alone to his mother, Satyavati, and warned her that indeed this was the beginning of the end. He told her that in a few short years her great-grandson, Dhritarashtra, will fall into sin, and he faced, she faced an unending stream of pain, destruction, and a great war. Understandably, Satyavati, who was joined by Ambika and Ambalika, decided to retire to the forest to renounce the world. They had all been through so much, and the peace and solitude of the forest would be a balm for their tormented souls. As they were about to leave, Satyavati spoke with Bhishma and told him of Vyasa's prophecy. Bhishma was shocked and stunned with disbelief. His head swam, and finally raising his eyes to meet his mother's, he told her of the boon that her husband and his father, King Santanu, had given him. He explained that since he could choose the time of his death, this seemed to be a good time to go and to return to the arms of his mother, the goddess Ganga. But Satyavati would have none of it. She commanded him to guard the children and do the best he could. After all, he had once refused her before when she wanted him to father a child with Ambika and Ambalika, so this time he had to obey. So now the stage is set. In only 35 pages, Vyasa has masterfully established a story so complex and compelling that at once everything seems inevitable, tragic, and yet fascinating. It brings to mind stories of Shakespeare like Hamlet and King Lear with their flawed heroes, the overwhelming power of fate, and the certainty of a tragic outcome. And that's where we'll end for today. Next week, we'll complete the story of Amba and her revenge on Bhishma. For chanting this week, in honor of Queen Kunti and the sun, we'll start with Surya Gayatri and Kavacham, Kavacham being a protective mantra. And then, since we're start talking about babies, and Krishna is the focus of the Mahabharata, we'll listen to Bala Mukunda Ashtakam, about Krishna as a baby. It's a very pretty melody, and I will be emailing a translation and transliteration to those who have signed up for the Netcast mailing list on the PujaNet website. That's P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, and the little sign-up box is in the lower left. As always, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Tando Aditya Prachodayat Asya Sri Surya Gavaja Mahamandrasya Agastya Bhagavan Rudhi Anatop Chandaha Suryo Devata Srim Bijam Neem Shaktihi Sumki Lakam 
मम सूर्य प्रसाद सिद्ध्यर्थ जपे विनियोग जपा कुसुम संकाशम दिवुज पद्मस्तक सिंधूरांबरमाल्यम च रक्तगंधापनम माणिक्यरत्न कचित सर्वाभरणूषित सप्ताश्वरसवाहम च मेरुम या प्रदक्षिणम देवासुरवरैर्वंद्यम रश्मिपरिवेष्टित सूर्य ध्यावासुवर्नाभम पटे चकवचम मुदा घृणि पादुशिरोशम सूर्य पातुललाटक आदिलोचने पाश्रुति पाक सदाणुर्मुखम पात सदा रवि जिह्वां पात जगन्नेत्रु स्कंधो गृहपति पात भुजो पात प्रभाकर पात हृदय पात भानुमान मध्यम पात सप्ताश्वो नाभिम पात नभो मणि द्वादात्मकटिं पात सबिता पात सखिनी गुरू पात सदश्रेष्ठो जानुनी पात भास्कर जंगे मे पात मतांडो गुलफो पात पिशापति पादो दिनमिपादो पात मित्रोखिल बभु आदिगवजं पुण्यमेद्यम वज्र सन्निभम योधारयति पुण्यात्मा भक्तिमानसुमानवरोगभयादिभ्यो मुच्यते नात्र संशय संवत्सर मुसीवा साम्राज्यपदवीमेदनेकन संयुक्त स्वर्णमाणिभूषण कलवृक्षसमाकीर्ण कदम वकुसुम प्रभम अशेदरोगशाथम सूर्य ध्यामंडले सिंधूरवर्णाजुमंडलाय सुवर्णरत्नाभरणाभ्यम पद्माय सुपंकजाय ब्रह्मेन्द्रनारायण शंकराय संरक्तचूर्ण सुवर्णतोय सकुंकुमाभम सकुशं सपुष्प श्रिता 
Balam mukul 